0: Today, from 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, probably one of my favorite verses, favorite thing of mine to preach on is the love of Christ. uh, Because he loves us so much. As a person who has known Christ for nearly 31 years, Those years have been marked by love, loved by Him, not always loved by me. Sometimes they've been great moments. Most of the time it's been great moments. But there are other times, like all of us experience, that are not as great. And when you come to a passage like 1 Corinthians 13 that speaks of the tremendous value of love, and not the sort of puppy love that we have as children, because Apostle Paul writes about being a child and putting away childish things, and when he becomes a man, he thinks, acts, lives like a man. What does it mean to be an adult? What does it mean to be a man in today's time? And one of the the saddest things that has happened, I believe, as our culture... Uh, has uh, gotten smarter, supposedly, is that we have de-emphasized the value of men and what it means for a man to be a man of God. Now, women, uh, women, thankfully, at least in Southern Baptist life, have had the WMU. Um, and as long as the leadership uh, leaves WMU alone, uh, WMU will continue to be great. Uh, but when men get a hold of something that women have been running, it's always a disaster. Amen. <laughs> the reality though for men today is you know how do you love and express love without being emotional and the reason i ask that is because most of the men in this room not all of us but most of us we're kind of, i mean i was raised in kind of a military home so you don't you don't really show your emotions you kind of you 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 just swallow your emotions you don't you don't show your emotions outside. It's inappropriate. Some of you, even some of you in older generation, there's a time and a place, and you know, we're we, we emotional people, but we don't just need to display those types of emotions. Here's the thing, though, ladies and gentlemen. In, the, in, in being a follower of Jesus, I don't know how you love people without being emotional about it. I don't know how you receive Christ without getting emotional about it. I don't know how you go through life or how people go through life without an understanding, without a comprehension, without being embraced by God. I don't know how people make it in life without knowing, understanding that the sovereign God of the universe loves them immeasurably. And if there's one place that should be the spokesperson or the speaking place... For the love of Christ, I believe that it should be the church. But how many times have I attended church? How many times have you attended church? How many times have we been a part of the body of Christ and yet love was not a part of it? Love was not a factor in the equation. It may have been a footnote on the page and yet we'll talk about it and we'll sing Jesus Loves Me. I mean, that's the, song, that's the first Christian song I ever learned was Jesus Loves Me. And yet we can visit churches today and they want to talk about people going to hell and the wrath of God and it's burning against us. Let me, let me, let me say this. I've not met too many lost people that in this cultural Christianity that we live in that are not aware of their circumstances, are not aware that their lives are messed up and fouled up, that they are, they are strung over in drugs or strung over in alcoholism, they didn't have a daddy in the home or they don't have a mom in the home. I think that our culture has a pretty good understanding of where it is. And for one reason, mainly, is that the church sometimes has been a constant reminder of the wrath and judgment of God rather than the love of Christ. Shame on us. Shame on us when we've done that. Because we have the one person, we have the one commodity, if you want to call it that, that can radically change people's lives. And it's love. It's love. Love is my favorite topic to preach from the pulpit. Because people's lives get changed. God shows up in amazing ways. God forgives amazing things. God forgives what we say. God forgives what we do when we seek Him. He does not hold our sins or our problems or our situation against us. Instead, He embraces us. I want you to think about that today. Men, I want you to understand that something that your wife needs, something that your children need, is they need to see the love of God in you. Not just something that you speak about as you think about misty recesses of the past, but as you speak about the present reality of your life growing in Christ, through Him and by Him, And attempting to love people and change people's lives because that's who does it. Jesus changes people's lives. So when I look at 1 Corinthians 13 and I see the Apostle Paul writing and he talks about how influential you can be. He says, if I speak in human or even angelic tongues, I can be the loudest speaker. I can be the best speaker but if I do this without love, what does he say? I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Vernacular today, English today, you're just a noisemaker. You can be the greatest speaker. You can have the greatest message. You can say the greatest things. You can send the best emails. You can send the best cards. You can send the best uplifting text messages. But if we do it, Without love, it is mere noise. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy, meaning that I can tell people the truth of God and the mysteries so that they can understand the mysteries of the Bible or the mysteries and knowledge of faith and those complex issues that we all struggle with, even if I had an understanding of all of those things, and I tell them, even if I have faith or have a faith, that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all that I own, everything that I consider that is mine, to the poor... And if I commit my body to hardship, that is, if I put, basically we'll put it in the vernacular, if I would make myself a slave to the gospel and do everything that I need to do, but I don't do it in love, I will gain nothing. So ladies and gentlemen, if you have bought into the lie of the church that you can do enough and be enough so that you can go to heaven one day, kind of a fire insurance policy this tells you right here that's not going to work because if you do all those things without love guess what you will do them without Jesus because when you and I do things without love Jesus is not in the equation God's not in the equation because God has told us in his word in the gospel of John in the letters of John that God is love so where where God shows up there is always love When we show up without love, we are showing up without God. When we send a communication without love, we are sending it without the blessing of God. When we do something without having love, we are doing something without God, no matter how much we want to baptize and make it more than what it is. In short, love must grow in everything we do. And I say grow because it not only should be present, but it should be a cultivate. We should cultivate love in every interaction that we have. Every interaction, whether it's a a good time or a bad time. Whether the good time is we're hiring people, or whether it's a bad time where we've got to let somebody go, we do it in love. Everything, listen, everything that this church should be built upon is the love of Christ. Everything that our lives should be built upon as followers of Jesus is love. Everything that we do, every ministry that we're a part of, every class that we teach, every sermon that's preached, every Sunday school lesson that's given, every meeting from personnel to finance, to it, it doesn't matter. Whatever we do, we do it in the love of God the love of Christ, because when we do things without love, we are doing it without Him. Several months ago, on a Sunday afternoon, I decided to go to Lowe's. And so as I was going down Elk Avenue, there was a gentleman, and he was, he was begging uh, on the side of the road there near uh, CVS, I turned in the Walmart parking lot, but he was in the CVS parking lot, and I saw him. I caught a glimpse of him, and I had one of these spiritual moments where I wanted to pretend like I didn't see him. You know, you know you're busy doing what you want to do. You know, you're busy doing going about your task. And uh, he had a sign that said he was hungry and needed food. Now, I looked a little ways from him, and there was a minivan over there in the CVS parking lot. Door was side door was open. And I think there were two children, one woman inside, and he was talking, conversing back with them. And I know what what it's like to grow up in the church. And I know what it's like to, we, we make these judgments all the time about people. Because the first thing that pops in my head is, he should have a job. That's what I think. He needs to have a job. If he had a job, he could get some money on the table. He could buy some food for his family. And we've all thought that, if we're honest with ourselves. The biggest mistake that we make in being Christians is assuming that we know someone else's story. Don't assume someone else's story until you know their story. There are people that, yes, they abuse the system. There are people that abuse the church for money and help and assistance all the time. But there's not one person that comes to the church and there's not one person that we run into on a daily basis that does not tremendously need the love of God present in their lives. And so I decided that I would be inconvenienced and so I went to Bojangles and bought a healthy meal. Sorry Tommy, Chick-fil-A wasn't open on Sunday. And Dairy Queen was too far to drive to Johnson City. Anybody else got a restaurant in here? <laughs> and so, um, so, you know, I went and I got him a big bucket of chicken and the fixings, healthy, dirty rice and whatnot. And I took it over to him. And listen, I don't know his story. I don't have to know his story, nor do you have to know his story. We don't have to know anybody's story to share the love of Christ. You just don't. Now some of you may know more about this gentleman. I don't know. He took it. And I will tell you this. I've never seen someone devour chicken as fast as his kids did or as fast as he did. So regardless regardless of what his situation was or why he was in the situation, see, we make value... We make value judgments about people all the time. I was in Asheville a month ago with a staff. We were in staff retreat. We'd gone to Ridgecrest. And Chris and I are walking. We're a little bit ahead of the rest of it. You'll remember this. And there was a family walking towards us, and they moved. Like they they moved to another section of the street. And I went, that's strange. And Chris says to me, No. He says, I'm a black man in the middle of Asheville. And then it dawned on me. That's exactly what happened. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it, it's not even my scope of reason. I mean, I walk, I don't pay any attention. But when I was standing beside Chris, Chris is black. I don't know if you know he's black. He's black. He, he could be a white guy with a good tan, but he's black. <laughs> and why did that family do that? Did they do it because they wanted to protect their family? Well, maybe, but here's what they did. Papa Bear made a value decision in that moment. Papa Bear did it. Gentlemen, you set the tone for the family. I want you to understand. Listen, you may say, I didn't sign up for this. (laughs) Guess what? Yes, you did. Well, I don't want to be the leader. Tough stuff you the man. And if you're the man, it's time to put away childish ways, making value judgments about people. Because here's what happens, men. When you make a decision like that, you're not just making a decision for you. You're setting the tone for the family. Those kids, they end up following your values. What kind of value judgments have we made this week as a church, as a family, as a follower of Jesus? Whom have we prevented from having the love of Christ by what we've said, what we've done, or an attitude that we've carried, or a judgment that we've made, an assumption that we've made about somebody? See, God doesn't make assumptions about people. He knows us. says in verse 12 of the passage, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. And then it says, even as I am fully known. Christ knows every aspect of our lives. He knows our going out and our coming in. He knows where we're going. Jesus Christ knew 2,000 years ago that this little peon in Elizabethan named Todd Hallman would get in his little beat up a uh, little Honda Civic and drive to Lowe's on that Sunday. He knew that my eyes would catch a glimpse of a man that I know is in need by what I see and by what I perceive. He knows that the simple Todd is going to make a value judgment about said situation and say if that man had a job he could be making a difference for his family. He knew all of these things. And I'm so glad on that day that I didn't give in ...to the assumption. Bought them chicken... ...the children were fed... ...and he was grateful. Listen... ...he may be... ...he may be... ...an abuser... ...of the system... ...but I need to look at him... ...as a potential... ...child of the king. Which means which means that he is my equal. He is a prince by being the child of the king. Now, I'm going to tell you, the gospel will mess you up. Loving people will mess you up. You will recognize that loving people and being a follower of Christ is not being a Democrat, is not being a Republican Frankly, it's being like Jesus. And you know what? Jesus wouldn't get elected either. He would be crucified. Guess what? If you're following the gospel, and if we, if we are loving people the way we should, welcome to the cross. People will say, you shouldn't have done that. You're enabling people. How many of you have ever heard that, you're going to enable somebody? Okay. And listen, there are times that you can enable people. You can. But in all times, regardless of what the decision you make, you need to love them as human beings and give them decency and dignity because they are a potential child of the king. They, make no mistake about it, have been bought at a great price and God's desire for the entire world is that it might be redeemed through His one and only Son Jesus Christ you may be the only tangible expression of God's love that that person sees in a given week in a given month or in a year and you and I can be the vessel through which the gospel is put out and they receive Christ and their lives change for eternity. And you know what? Here's here's the thing. They can die without ever having a job, and that's okay. But they cannot die on our watch without knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. That's our, do, do you realize? Do you realize what is at stake, church? These are people with families, with names, and though you and I may not know them, you and I may not be affiliated with them, and that's the problem with the church today because they are the very people that should be in this very room. Tattered, torn, broken, downtrodden, depressed, addicts, and everything else. Yes, it will change. It will change how the church looks It will change the personality. It will change the dynamics. It will change the economic status. It will change our racial diversity. But God is going to change lives. And heaven is going to be filled with people that we forgot. Because we assumed A value about them. The greatest in the kingdom is the least of these. So if you're in high and mighty on your throne, as many times I have been as I've looked down on people, get ready to be lowered. Because the greatest are those that have nothing. There's a reason when you go to a third world country When you travel into Africa or Southeast Asia and you present the gospel, they flock to the gospel. Why? Because they've never heard it before. But here's the other thing. They don't have so many things competing for their attention. They're lucky to have a roof over their heads, let alone cable television. They don't have the convenience of going to a Goodwill or a Walmart or anything like that. And some of you would ghastly say, I would never buy my clothing at Walmart. And I know I've gone to meddling because, look, let me confess, I mean, I'm not meddling in something that I'm not dealing with. I'm, I'm just being real transparent. I mean, I'm a shopper like everybody else, I like nice things. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen be careful what we value how much value we put into things. People matter a lot more. And you believe that because let me tell you something, if someone had not invested in your life personally, if someone had not mentored you personally in being a disciple and follower of Jesus, if someone had not invited you to church or invited you to vacation Bible school or invited you to receive Christ, you still would be lost without a cause. But because of God's great hope in Jesus Christ, your life has been changed. Love must grow in everything we do. Anything absent of love is worthless. Value is determined by the ability to love and to be loved. Value is determined by the ability to love and to be loved. Listen... Everybody has the ability to love and everybody has the ability to be loved. Therefore, everybody is valuable. People are not commodities. They're not mere statistics on a page because behind all the statistics are real traumas, real families, real children, real homes that need redemption. I used to believe that government could fix a lot of the problems. I used to believe that education alone would fix the problems. Guess what? It won't and it never will because God never intended government or education to fix the problems. He intended the church to be the lead. We don't have to ask permission about the church's role. The God of the universe has given us the mandate. He has given us the role. He has given us the call. The church doesn't need to ask to do it. The King of kings and Lord of lords The same God who delivered the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt. The same God who allowed Joshua to bring the Israelites and the people of God into the promised land through the walls of Jericho. The same God who led David to kill Goliath. The same God who led him to be restored even after his failure. The same God that made King Solomon the greatest king of all Israel and made him, listen, wise beyond years, wisdom unknown by anybody else. We <laughs> This same God who has moved in history since the very beginning of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. This same God who moved through prophets and judges and everyone else to restore people to the scriptures and restore people to God to restore people's hope and the light that He could provide. This same God that provided visions and dreams to Isaiah that would foretell the coming of a Messiah. This same God who's never given up on anybody ever. This same God who still pursues us despite ourselves, despite our decisions. This same God who moved through twelve disciples and in three years period uprooted the world and completely changed the dynamics of the world. This same God who was an unknown, who became known by everybody that even time today is defined This same God who has worked throughout all of church history, despite the greatest and the darkest days, despite the greatest and the darkest moments of our lives, is the same God who wants our attention today. He deserves our allegiance. He deserves our affection because He has so tremendously loved us all the way through, and the very beginning, when he said in the beginning God creates the heaven and the earth, listen, in that moment that he spoke and something came from nothing, it is not beyond the reason of my mind or the mind and scope of our human wisdom to understand that he could still have been thinking of us even that long ago. Love changes people's lives. My wife is a therapist. I'm glad I have her. And she can't talk a lot about her clients. She can't. I mean, it's just HIPAA and a lot of other things, ethics. But occasionally, years removed, she'll mention and she'll say something about a depiction of a child she used to work uh, in an adolescent hospital. And you read in books and textbooks and whatnot, but we have, she has encountered children that have not been loved. Youth who have never, ever heard the words, I love you. And I'm so grateful to God that I heard that every day of my life, multiple times a day. And I have been so blessed by the upbringing. But that doesn't mean that everybody's upbringing was like mine. And I think the greatest casualty of my life is, has been my inability to know and to sense that not everybody grew up like me and not everybody grew up like you. Some had better, some had worse, some had nothing. And yet we expect them We expect all people to kind of be the same cookie-cutter Christian at First Baptist Church. Love must grow in everything that we do. It is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, uh, my critics, and I do have them, even here in the community, they'll say, he's too soft on the wrath of God and judgment. Listen, hell is real. I believe that. It's not a fun place frankly, I don't want to tell you about it because here's my, here's my belief. If you are sold out for the gospel of Christ, it doesn't matter how bad hell is because you're not going to be there. Love is central. It is the foundation of everything that Christ did and lived and breathed. And therefore, because it was central to Jesus and his gospel, then it must be central to us. Because love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. What does that mean? It means love will always win. Every time. Every time. I know some of you get concerned when I talk about that because there is a theologian that had a book that was published. It's called Love Wins. The book, not a great book. The title is absolutely perfect. Love does win. Because if love doesn't win, then God's a failure because God's love. Love wins. Love has won me. Love has won many of you. Love is winning people. Love is winning families. Love is changing homes. Love is changing the dynamics of today's church. It wins every time. Because the greatest thing that we can embody is love. Now let's put that in perspective for September the 18th. Now is the time. Back to Church Sunday. A lot of people are not connected to the church. Listen, some of you are still growing. Your your baby's in the walk with Christ. And that is great. And what I love is the fact that you're committed to being here. You're committed to growing. And listen, there are no experts at First Baptist Church. They're just people that have been doing this a little longer. And some of the things that we've been doing, we have to unlearn. Because they may have worked for a generation ago, but we've realized that sometimes our motives, sometimes the way we view people, aren't the same. I remember a number of years ago, to give you one final illustration before we close. My wife went to what I would call an uppity First Baptist Church. Okay? She went to an uppity First Baptist Church when she was in college. I'd never been there because they were uppity, and I didn't like uppity. Um, even though I thought I was uppity, I didn't like uppity. Uh, they were other people. They weren't me. You ever done that? And so I walk in on a Wednesday night, and literally this is what happened. I walk in on a Wednesday night, I went to the second pew, and I sat down. And this little pet comes on my shoulder, and a little old lady with a little old cane had a cute little bonnet on. She was just of a southern belle. She goes, You're sitting in my seat. <laughs> now remember, I'm in college, okay? Now, if this was today, I would just bless your little heart. Mm. Uh, But I said to her, Well, I didn't know you owned it. To which she replied, My name's right there. (laughs) This is not your pew. This is not our church. It's his. I wonder how many people have walked in as a first-time visitor at that church. And I'm sure that, lo- that woman has gone to glory. And she was singing today to God be the glory in heaven. I'm sure she's doing that. I think she's probably a saint of God. But she missed it. She missed it royally. There are a lot of good people that are going to miss it royally. We don't need to be one of those people. How many people have come into the church that she said, you're sitting in my pew. Now, I've been in church all my life. And I'm, I'm a fighter. So I'm like, huh, I'll show you. But she won because I've never been back to the church since. I'm like I'm done, but it's interesting because that type of culture in the church. Uh, there were homeless people in the community where we were, and uh, a good friend of my wife's and it became a good friend of mine had commented to her, "Look." We need, listen, our church needs to be about reaching out to those who are less fortunate, helping them, getting them on their feet, those that are drug addicts, God forbid, those that are suffering with problems and situations, and those who have horrible family lives. We want to help them all. And so I think what we ought to do is just build them a nice cute little church away from ours. They didn't want needy people in their church. They wanted more people like them. But the only thing is, if you peel back the onion just a little bit, we would realize that in every single... I listen, there is no perfect family here at First Baptist Church. In every one of our families, there are shadows that are lurking that we don't want to talk about. There are names that only get uttered. And listen, this is how I know. Because when you have a family event around a Thanksgiving table or a Christmas table, there's an empty chair. And though you may have removed the chair, it has not removed the reality that there's someone in your family That's not as connected as you would like them to be. We all have skeletons in our closet. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how wealthy you are. Listen, problems don't come or diminish because of money. Problems come and diminish because of lack of love. Either our ability to love or our ability to be loved. I love First Baptist Church Elizabethan. We have seen amazing things happen in the last couple of years. I believe that we're not a pretentious church. I believe that we are a grassroots church with grassroots needs. I mean, you hired me. (laughs) And I've always told you that I have issues. I've always told you that. I've never hidden that. We are creating a culture that loves people despite... And listen, it's a learning process. It's t- sometimes it's tough for me. Because I make value judgments like a lot of us do. A lot of us do. But I don't get to choose whom God loves and whom He chooses. And our goal and our purpose, love has got to be at everything, involved in everything. So here, if you're involved in something at First Baptist Church, if you're involved in something in your personal life or work life, family life, all aspects of your life, and love is not central to it, you need to go back to the drawing board and rethink what you're going to say, rethink what you're going to do, rethink about how you're going to respond. Love matters. With love, you and I will always win. And here's, here's the deal. Some of you grew up in homes that you never heard the words I love you. And I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt, without just one inkling of any, anything here at First Baptist, that First Baptist Church loves you immeasurably. We will do anything for you we will help you, we will guide you, we will not talk about you. We're not really a gossiping church. Now there may be a segment that gets on Facebook, but that's their own little phone. We don't really, we, I don't really deal with, I don't really deal with a lot of drama of gossip. First church, no lie. First church I've been at that I really, knock on wood, have had to deal with that kind of thing. Do we have issues? Absolutely. Are we a perfect church? Absolutely not. But our hope is to serve in the perfect love of Christ. And to see you reach your greatest potential in Him. Because here's what I know. Here's what I know. When we invest in students and we invest in children and we invest in people that God loves, He wins every time. And He's in the business of restoring families. And here's the amazing thing. When people come to the realization that Christ loves them, it will change them when they see that we love out of our obedience and our fellowship of Christ, it will change how they perceive the church. It will change how the community perceives the church. Our purpose, our mission, and our goal is simply to love people and through that love offer them an opportunity to connect to Christ. I hope that you're into that because it's going to lead us through some roads and journeys that are difficult. We're going to meet people, we're going to minister to people that you probably never thought you would say, they should be uh, at a kind of a a recovery institute, shouldn't they? Or they should be at some kind of... They deserve to be right here in this very room. Just as we have needs that are spiritually met by Christ, they have needs that need to be met as well. We love them because Christ first loved us. And my hope and prayer today as we leave this place is simply this. If you're here this morning and you have never come to the understanding of how much God loves you through the person of Jesus Christ, we want to give you an opportunity to know him. If you've been in church all your life and you're kind of recovering from the church, (laughs) I, I know what that's like. We welcome you to a place that you can flourish and bloom in this place, discover your gifts and get plugged in. If you're here this morning and you're, you're just seeking a place, you're seeking help, you need something, whatever it is, let us know about it. We love people. We love this community. Above all, we love Christ. And we are committed to making Him known. So whatever your decision, however God is leading, won't you come as we respond? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day and this time. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace and your amazing love that's changed so many of our lives. And Father, as we sing today, may we recognize the forgiveness that's ours through Christ. And Lord, may we be an extension of your love. For men in the room, I pray that men's hearts who perhaps have been... Calloused and perhaps have been uh, just bruised by life and situations. I pray that you will break men's hearts. I pray that you will return men to the joy of their salvation, that they will love from the deepest, listen, from their deepest wounds come the greatest victories. Christ, you're in the center of them. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them demonstrate your love to their wives and to their kids. Father, protect our families. Father, protect this church, not from the lostness. Bring the lostness to this place. And Father, what we offer them is the same thing that you've offered to us. It is your Son, Jesus Christ, who radically has transformed so many lives, who has made us more than just mere emotional, who has actually saved us and called us for a better life in these days. Now is the time for us to respond. Now is the time for us to love Jesus in a manner and a hope in which he has loved us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.